Welcome to or welcome back to the Millennial Momentum Podcast. This is Tommy Tahoe Lamo, your host, and I am excited to have you here. Uh, I'm on a journey for a better life, more money, better relationships, uh, mastering my craft, better health, less anxious, all that stuff. I know you are too. And so, you know, my goal is to do the, the dirty work and put in the hard work to understand how can we get better 1% every day as millennials, the 25-year-old that wants to get better, the 32-year-old that needs more money, the 27-year-old that hates their job. I'm here for you. We're on the path together. So thanks for joining me. I'm very grateful you're here. Um, I'm excited for this week's uh, interview. I have Tiffany Bova, and I heard her on the documentary, The Story of Sales, uh, it's put on by Salesforce. We we saw it as an office maybe six or 12 months ago. And she really stuck out as someone that just knew her stuff. And she was so polished. And especially, you know, to try to bring in more strong female presences onto the podcast, that's been a request. And she really fits the mold there. And... Um, you know, I just had a great time talking to her um, about her background. You know, she started as a carny, which I didn't even know that was a word, um, but helping to, to set up and put down carnivals in high school and, and learning sales about, you know, the sales of, of an interaction with customers. Um, talking about work-life balance or lack thereof, and, and she says, you know, it's more about pivoting and you're over-indexed one month and under-indexed the next and trying to just map that and, you know, how she tries to do well by doing good and all the different things that she's working on. I, I call her kind of the, the female Gary Vaynerchuk because she's just everywhere all the time and has such a great energy about her. I love talking to her. I love learning from her. I love just watching her on social media. Um, and some more background on Tiffany, right? So she is the global customer growth and innovation evangelist. It's a mouthful, at salesforce.com. You may have heard of her, may have heard of them. Um, she is a top influencer in customer experience, digital transformation, sales. Um, she's a regular contributor to Forbes, Harvard Business Review, um, Sirius XM, Huffington Post. She has a podcast called What's Next, um, where she talks about you know what's next in business. And she's had folks like... Ariana Huffington, Dan Pink on there. Uh, she's delivered over 300 keynotes on sales transformation, business model, um, to over 300,000 people in the world. Before Salesforce, she was a VP and distinguished analyst and research fellow at Gartner. And she just launched a book yesterday called Growth IQ, Get Smarter About the Choices That Will Make or Break Your Business. I read the book. I talked to her about the book. I talked to her about a lot of things. I am very excited for you to listen to my conversation with Tiffany and really take in what she's saying um, and think about you know the grind that she's putting in. I love hearing from people that are just getting after it. And she's traveling hundreds of thousands of miles a year. And she's going and she's writing a book and doing a podcast and working at one of the leading companies in the world, Salesforce. And... It's just really inspiring. So I hope you check. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Tiffany. We're gonna get right into it now. Thanks, folks. And kicking the week off on a great tone, and I've been really excited to have you on the show. So thanks for joining me. Of course, of course. Always, always thrilled to talk about sales. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Um, and we were just talking for a minute before, but I saw you on the documentary the story of sales which was created by salesforce it's great for you know everyone that's out there that's in sales or even if you're not just to check out and learn more about the profession but you had uh, a great cameo or multiple cameos in that and i know that you mentioned or refer to yourself as a recovering sales rep so i'd love to hear a little bit about how sales has shaped your career and maybe learn from some of the early days and some of the lessons you learned uh, early on in your career as a sales rep yeah, so it's always a very fun story to tell. Uh, you know, I think people who are born to sell kind of don't remember when they weren't selling. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, but you know, early on, um, I, I always like to joke that everything I learned about 
business and more importantly, kind of sales and marketing. I learned at the carnival, which is a huge can of worms. Of course, you're going to go, what do you mean by that? And and I, and I literally mean uh, the carnival. So my, uh, I was born and raised in Hawaii and uh, my best friend's family, which is kind of my second family, had all the outdoor carnivals in, in the island. So it was kind of a traveling, you know, it has Ferris wheels and roller coasters and the whole nine yards uh, and all the games outside, you know, the, the darts to win posters and teddy bears and, you know, throwing the rings on Pepsi bottles. Like it is a full blown carnival. And so I, I used to run the games at the carnivals and it's a, you know, it was a pop-up over two and a half days. Like, you know, Friday afternoon at noon, it would start and Sunday night at like midnight, it would end. And it would be used to like raise money for uh, high schools or it was like the state fair or things like that. Right. So it sort of was a community and would travel to all the islands. Uh, and it was uh, something that, you know, families enjoyed for, you know, decades, really. It started almost in the early 1900s was the grandfather and then the dad and then uh, the kids who were friends of mine. Uh, so I like to say kind of the supply chain of, you know, getting teddy bears to Hawaii, you know, you only can get them there by boat. What happens if there's a storm? What happens if the container falls off the ship? Like you have no teddy bears. What do you do? Uh, you know, doing scheduling and counting money and getting people to come up was very, you know, get on a bullhorn and, you know, shout. And your customer was, you know, a 10 year old with parents who want to win this toy or, you know, poster or teddy bear for their kid. Uh, and so very early, 15 to almost 22, I, I really cut my teeth on learning what it meant to you know, work in a small business and run kind of sales in that way and marketing and positioning and supply chain and uh, promotions and all kinds of things. So uh, I guess that would be uh, my history as a carny and how it's transitioned to you know 40 years later, what, what I'm doing now. And you were doing that, that same job from 15 to 22 for those... Uh what is it? Seven, eight years? Yeah. Well, I mean, I went to college in between, uh, but right. throughout high school, yeah, I was doing it, you know, so it wasn't full time, right? It was sort of weekends. Uh, and when it was carnival season, cause it wasn't a, a you know, every weekend kind of every day type of thing. Uh, and then I would started working on the, in the indoor arcades, which were you know, video arcades back then, long before we had games on everything. Uh, you actually had to physically go somewhere. I know the millennial generation listening to this is probably like, what? You had to go somewhere? Yeah, it was like a, you know, an arcade, a place at a mall where you would go and play uh, games that were nowhere as cool as they are now, but but still awesome games. Uh, and so I would work there on weekends and during the summer and then went to college. And on the summertime, I would come back, work there again. And then after college, uh, I spent uh, about a year and a half opening uh, our largest uh video arcade, which was 15,000 square feet uh, on Maui, actually not on Oahu. So it was, you know, on and off during that time. So it, you know, my, my sort of aspirations in business were set and, and formed really, really young. And what about that sales? Once you took the job, did you like, and has that evolved over time? Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you this you know, it wasn't really a classic sales job, you know, like I was selling something and making a commission, it, but it was about selling a, an experience, selling a service, selling the intangible, right? Where people having fun or not having fun. That's not a product you can sell. It's really an environment you have to create from the people you hire, the way they're trained, the way you lay out the store, how clean the store is. You know, uh, I like to give this one example of how customer experience was ingrained into my brain at a very young age and how important it was. So the store that I opened in Maui was about 15,000 square feet. And we tried to recreate what a big top tent would feel like with all the light bulbs. If you've ever been in a carnival with, you know, or a circus with the big top tent. And we tried to create that feel indoors. So the, the arch of the ceiling was um, very tall, but it was also full of light bulbs and thousands of them like it would, you would find in a tent and it was opening day. And uh, my friend's mom, who, you know, was the CEO and president of the division, you know, that, that had the indoor uh, arcades walks in for, you know, an hour before the opening flies into Maui, you know, we're all proud, we're pressed and ready to go, right. The store is perfect. And she walks up to me, it's, you know, goes down the line, shakes everybody's hands, says congratulations and gets to me. And she, you know, she says something, which I don't even remember what she said, so I'm not even going to make it up, but she p 
points her finger in the air, like just points up. And I'm like, is she telling me number one? Is she telling me, you know, way to go? Like, what, what does that mean? Right. And walks away. And so I, I sat, you know, stood there for a second. And then I like, just happened to like, let my eyes float to the top of this indoor big top tent. There was one light bulb out, mm-hmm. one light bulb, one light bulb. And I tell this story, I literally, yeah, I've been telling this story for 30 years. So, uh, that ingrained in me that like, it can all be perfect, but one light bulb says something about what we think about how much we care about our, you know, our establishment and the service and the feeling that we want people to have when they're there. Uh, and so while that wasn't a classic selling job, it really shaped and formed so much of the way I approach everything that I do in dealing with people and that constant sort of focus on my true north of being, it's all about that experience. And, and especially when you're selling something that is intangible, uh, like a feeling, right? That's really, or cloud, it's people can't see it, touch it, feel it, right? It's, it's very challenging to get them to imagine the possibilities of what you're trying to create. Interesting. Yeah, I actually, it's so funny because I just read uh, the biography of Steve Jobs and I didn't know much about him and you know one thing that really struck out to me was that you know he designed the insides of the devices as beautifully as the outside and he wanted every single thing to be as perfect as possible whether people were going to see it or not and I think as a salesperson or just as a human being I, I don't necessarily always pay the closest attention to detail and sometimes when there's so many plates that you're spinning you want to just get as much output in as possible and just do as many things but Maybe it's the lesson here is sometimes less is more and focus on doing one thing really well and then move on to the next versus, you know, 30 half-assed, uh, you know, things that you did that day. Yeah. And, and I would say that that alongside that less is more is you have to slow down to speed up. You know, I think one of the things I did early in my career was I just thought like faster, faster, more, more, faster, faster, more, more, Right. Uh, let me sell more. Let me do more. Let me have more responsibility faster, faster, you know, no patience. Like, let me just churn right through all this stuff, you know, versus uh, taking a beat. And um, there's a, a story about Abraham Lincoln about, let's say you and I were going to do a contest of who could chop down more trees in six hours. And we were both given an ax. What would you do? You would, you would think that you would start chopping, start chopping right away. But I know where this is going. <laughs> right. Right. So, or you sit there for four hours and sharpen the blade because by the time you're tired uh, and your blade is dull, I'm just getting started. So, you know, there's something to be said for that. And I, and I do think just in my personal, you know, case and sort of my journey, um, that's something I learned later uh, rather than earlier uh, as I was moving up sort of, you know, my sales experience and my roles and sort of individual contributor to a small team lead, to a couple of team leads, Mm -hmm. to a sales manager, to a director, to, you know, as you moved up, you just, it was that kind of right more, more, faster, faster, more, more, faster, faster. And, and, um, sort of power is the wrong word, but comes with more responsibility where it's about influence. You don't kind of get the subtleties of those things until, uh, you've sort of been at it for a while, unless you're really in tune with, uh, you know, yourself and your surroundings. Interesting. And have you, have you used other maybe mindfulness tactics or something like that, whether it's meditation or yoga or deep breathing or anything like that, that maybe helps you calm down? Cause I think m- me myself, and I think maybe a lot of ambitious people in general, are usually more high energy. We want to get all these things accomplished. I mean, I wake up, you know, whatever time, five in the morning, I'm ready to do everything. And sometimes I need to coach myself to like, all right, let's take some deep breaths. Let's focus on what's the most important thing here. And let's prioritize and get the, you know, slow down to speed up, as you would say. But do you do any of that type of stuff to help you? I try to, you know, I I think we're all a work in progress. You know, if it was perfect all the time, right, we wouldn't be continuing to talk about this. I I don't, I don't personally believe there's kind of work-life balance. I think there's a give and a take where some points uh, of a day, week, month, year, you're, you're just a little bit over pivoted to work or over pivoted to personal. And, and, and that's just part of being human. Uh, So I I remove myself from the stress of work-life balance. (laughs) I don't try to achieve it because I, 
personally don't believe it. It's something we can get to. But if we're more aware of, you know, I'm, I'm a little disconnected. Like when I was my last quota carrying sales job, I, I did not sleep in my own bed uh, for seven straight nights for almost three and a half years because I was Whoa. just grinding, right? Like it was yeah. traveling, customer presentation, sales. I was running a sales team. I was working for a Fortune 500 company. You know, I was, I was grinding. And that's where you kind of step back and go, I'm so disconnected from my life. Like that's an obvious, I need to get better in balance. So, you know, that was probably 90-10. And I swore I would never let that happen again. And so, you know, I bounced between sort of the 60-40, 65-35 range. Uh, and I try to be good about that. And the way I do it is, um, I'm aware when I'm over pivoted. So I take advantage of, all right, when I'm flying on an airplane, which is every week, you know, I'm going to listen to something that has nothing to do with work, you know, whether it's a mindful podcast or I'll meditate or I'll work on something that mm -hmm. doesn't have something to do with an output that's expected for me from my day job, you know? Um, yeah. So I take that time I, and, 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 uh, the noisier, the better actually, like, it allow it helps me focus in on what I'm trying to focus in on where total silence is tough for me. It's tough for me. Um, and then in the morning I have a little routine where the natural, you know, reaction is just pick up the phone and, and start seeing what's going on in the day before your brain is even sort of woken up. And so I, I try to take the first if, as long as I can, but I try to at least get to five or 10 minutes where I don't do anything. And I just kind of lay there and think about, okay, what do I want to accomplish in the day? Sort of say some affirmations of what I'm thankful for. What, what did I, you know, what did I learn yesterday? What would I like to do better today? You know, you just kind of go through a little list of things. Uh, and then you feel a little bit more like you've given yourself a moment to prepare for whatever the day is mm. ahead of you. Do you write any of that down or is that all mental? But that's hard. You know? no, no, no. Yeah. I just sort of just because then the moment you do that, then it's like, now you're thinking too hard. Okay. What do I need to do? It's not a to-do list. You know, because, right, it is literally right. just let me let me sort of breathe and lean into this day and, and start the day with, you know, a clear mind of, you know, what am I thankful for? What do I want to do? What did I do? You know, what could I do better today than I did yesterday on the personal side? You know, who haven't I called that I thought of that I really wanted to reach out to? And yesterday mm -hmm. it got away from me. So I need to do that today. You know what I mean? Where that's that staying connected to the part of the, you know, the work life balance. It's the life side. As you start your day thinking on the personal life side, then I think you're far more open um, and prepared to deal with anything that might come, come at you on the professional side. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. I think it's, it's important to that time in between when you first wake up and when you open up the phone for the flurry of texts and emails and social media and all that stuff. I think that's a really valuable time, even if it is just, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes that you can spare, even if you have to get up 10 minutes earlier, just to like, all right, let's just think about what's going to happen today. Let's just get in touch with like, how am I doing? How am I feeling? What's going to happen? What do I need to do? Um, and just kind of let your brain wake up. That's a good way of describing it versus just like, boom, I wake up and like, here's 70,000 things right in my face, you know? Yeah. And even if you're, so I try not to get out of bed, but if you, you know, if you get up and start walking around, don't pick up your phone, right? It's just the 10 minutes of 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whether it's, you know, you don't, you don't do it until you're ready for work, right? And then you pick up your phone and then work begins, but you've given yourself a moment, you know, and that's why if you're really, if you can get really good at it, where you like, wake up, don't touch your phone, go through those affirmations, you know, get ready for the morning, have a little breakfast, you know, and then pick up your phone. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would tell you this, I'd say, I wish I could do that every day. <laughs> I don't do it every day. Right. Uh, but it's, it's just a matter of, I'm aware of it. And even if it's, you change something, one thing, wake up five minutes earlier, like you just said, and then do that. You know, or don't pick up your phone until you've brushed your teeth or, you know, don't, you know, don't uh, when you're driving, like most definitely don't use your phone, but don't listen to, you know, potentially stuff that's like all work related, you know, take the time where, you know, you're driving to just maybe reflect, don't listen to anything for just 10 minutes and then get into whatever you want to get into. It's just those little moments where you can take back some control because we can earn more money. We can never earn more time. Mm. we can never earn more time. So, yeah. you know, that's just something that, that someone said to me one time and I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Right. Cause we're so focused that I can earn more money, but you can never get time back. So if you don't take it for yourself, no one's going to give it to you. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it, that's, that's a great point of like seeing those little moments throughout the day. If it's commute, if it's you're waiting in line, uh, you know, to get your salad or for lunch or your coffee, like you don't need to go and check Instagram and Twitter every second. Like, Hey, let's maybe just take those five minutes and just not maybe think about something or not think about something. And that's really hard for me. I think we're all addicted to our phones at this point. And, um, but just trying to be mindful of that, I think, is is an important thing I'm, I've been trying to work on. So I'm, I'm glad we got to. Well, it's tough for you, right? Because I remember <laughs> not having a phone. Right. right? Yeah. So like I'm a digital immigrant, which is I didn't get my first. Uh, well, I had a car phone. It was mounted in the car. Like you couldn't even leave with it. It like stayed <laughs> in your car yeah. uh, when I was uh, 19. And I got my first laptop when I was 19. Uh, it was a dual disk drive NEC floppy disk, Oof. mind you. Uh, Word perfect. Um, and anyway, so you know that means nineteen years of yeah, nineteen years of my life. Right there was no laptop, no computer, no cell phone, no pager. You know, no streaming video, no games online. No, you know, and uh, so. It, until I turned kind of 40, then then halfway of, half of my life had not, you know, I'd never had it. So that's why I'm an immigrant to technology. While I'm first on it, I still had 20 years of my life where I wasn't using it at all. Uh, where now I think it's more difficult because it's it's just ingrained and embedded into the habit where I have habits where, you know, I, I didn't rely when my cell phone doesn't work. I'm kind of like, okay, whatever. Now I'm like, Oh my God, my cell phone doesn't work. Like I'm not going to, and you just have to go, wait a minute. You know, I remember a time where, unless you were a surgeon in an emergency room, like you carried a pager around, uh, it, nothing was life-threatening, but now, and I said this in the story of sales, uh, and I said it in the webinar after that. What's interesting about selling as a profession is we're like 24 seven. Because when our customers send us an email or call us on our cell phone or send us a text message, as a sales rep, you almost feel like you have to respond. Because if you don't respond, maybe your competitor will or the other person's going to step in. So it is like we are on call 24-7. And people don't always view the sales profession as, you know, honorable and hard work, which I'm, I'm fine to go toe to toe with anybody that thinks that's the case. But, you know, (laughs) at the end of the day, um, we try to be as responsive as we can to our customers where other people may be, Oh, you know what? I turn off my cell phone on Friday and I don't turn it back on until Monday. I don't know if a sales rep can do that today. No, not a quota bearing one anyway. And yeah, not one that gets paid on commission. And it's the same thing for leave, you know, turning your phone off, or not checking it when you leave the office and then not checking it till you get back in the office in the morning. It's like, yeah, that that's how it was however many years ago before laptops and before cell phones. But now you're right. We're, we're so connected. And I think it is, I think the timeliness of response is actually a very big factor in terms of building trust and building you know credibility, especially as a younger salesperson where it's like, you're trying to earn your stripes with your boss, you're trying to earn stripes with your customers, you're trying to earn stripes with everyone you work with, um, you know, to kind of override the fact that you're a 25 year old sales rep that, you know, just doesn't have the uh, experience that your competitor might or that someone else might. So um, I think, yeah, the, the timeliness of response, it's kind of a, it's a tough balance to make. But I think what's important is that like, even if you're going to respond to that email at whatever, nine o'clock at night, you don't, it's still having those times where if you're having dinner with your family or something like the phone's off then or, and then it's on later or it's on before and just trying to choose those kind of like hot and cold zones where there's some sort of boundary, but you got to be on your game at all times, especially if you're in sales, if, if you want to be you know one of the best. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And I think that that's what I mean by just taking back those 10 or 15 minutes or a meal. Like, uh, when I go with my friends, because you know we rarely get a chance to get everybody together because everyone is you know has lives and kids and travel and jobs and you know et cetera. And so when we get together, we put a little basket in the middle of the table. Everyone's got to toss their phone in. And if anybody picks their phone up, I mean, unless they're a surgeon and like the world is ending, they got to pick up the tab. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and so it forces us to actually have conversations with each other. Right. And if someone wants to show a picture or something, like I, I mean, literally, like sitting there and answering emails and doing text messages, right? I mean, that's it's like, well, then why did we all get together? If the five of us are sitting around the table and we're all looking at our phones, we could have done this 
not together, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. So on on the notion of of time management, and we we were riffing a little bit about this before we started, but I'm I'm very curious, and I I refer to you in a similar sense as. Uh, Similar to to Gary Vaynerchuk, which I don't think you you took kindly to. It was supposed to be a compliment, just because I see everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, it was totally a just compliment. totally a compliment. I don't think I have as much energy as Gary, but you know, I take it as a compliment. Absolutely, you, you have a different vibe for sure. Um, but just in the sense that you know you're at an executive role at one of the you know, leading companies in the entire world, and you know you're running a top iTunes podcast, and you're about to launch a book that you've been writing for however long, um, and taking all the experience that you've had in your career, and you know doing all three fluidly, I think is inspiring for someone like me that um, you know I think I'm doing a lot, or I'm doing more than I have been, and it's it's inspiring to see people doing much more and being able to handle it, or at least on the surface, it looks like you balance it well. So I'd I'd love to hear any tips or hacks or your mindset even more about how you handle all of these different buckets and and stay on course with everything. So uh, I wish it was perfect, but it's far from it. But I would say this, one of the things I'm really good at uh, is prioritization and time management. Uh, I use the time that otherwise would be, would be wasted. So not everybody has, you know, 10,000 miles a month or, you know, let's see, last year was uh, 250,000 miles I flew on one airline. So like 20,000 miles a month. So 20,000 miles a month gives me a lot of airtime. And, you know, some people are like, oh, I can't work when I fly. I sleep when I fly. I'm nervous when I fly. Like I watch a movie when I fly, you know, I work when I fly. And so it gives me uninterrupted time to crank through the things that I need to actually produce. So if it's writing a blog or answering emails or reading a book or writing my book or preparing for a podcast or whatever it might be, I take that time on the airplane because I'm not distracted by the little shiny thing in the corner that makes yep. me not work through my sort of, you know, to-do list for the day. I'm sort of, what was I, what was I doing? I was in the middle of something and now I'm doing something else. Um, so that is my most efficient work time. And in my prior life, uh, when I was working at Gartner, uh, my boss used to say all the time, I don't know how you keep this pace and I want to make sure you're not burning out. And, and I'm like, I just write on the plane. It's when I get it done. So I answer all the emails and I catch myself up. And so even if it's three or four hours to Dallas, or if it's, I'm in Los Angeles, or it's you know six hours to the East Coast, or it's eight hours to London, or it's 14 hours to, to Hong Kong, or it's, you know... Uh, I just did uh, Johannesburg and that was, that was 23 and a half hours. It was a little long, Oof. but you know, at the, at the end of the day, you know, I take that time uh, to work. So where, where is your most productive time? Where, you know, is it in the morning? Is it on the, you know, when can you carve time where you're just not distracted and you'll be really surprised at how much you can get done. And if I didn't have that fly time, uh, there's no way I could have kept the pace I've kept over the last sort of 10 or 12 years. There's just no way. Well, I think that's, I, I love the work on the plane move. I mean, I, I travel not 250,000 miles a year, but like, it's, it's great. It's a great feeling that no one can like, quote unquote, get to you up there, you know, right. It's no one's calling you or texting you. The The phone is an airplane. And then you're, if you have to write or crash their emails or put together a deck, whatever it is. You know, it's your, it, the time is yours really. So it's a great time to just crush it. Yeah. Now that, now that, you know, wireless is on planes, even internationally. So like even flying from London back to Los Angeles, I can get Wi-Fi. where that, you know, so then the trick is, do I get on Wi-Fi or do I stay focused, you know? Um, and so, you know, that, that I think when I get on Wi-Fi, I'm not as productive. When I stay off of Wi-Fi, I'm more productive. Yeah, you uh, could do I get, I'll get a little distracted. Yeah, I just get distracted. I mean, it's just you know, I'm, uh, I want, I want to. Oh yeah, what am I doing? You know, so uh, that that's just it's, that's the only way I can really get it done. So, you know, I think going back to if you're early in your sales career, um, spending, I tell you that when I was first beginning of my sales career, I would take Saturdays and Sundays and I became a student of my profession. And what I mean by that is initially when I started selling, I was selling software and I was selling software into the legal industry. And so my undergrad uh, gave me 
uh, expertise in legal and in between the carnivals uh, during the summers, I actually was a paralegal. So I had some experience around sort of navigating through a law firm. And so that was a good fit for me. But then on the weekends, I said, okay, you know, two hours on a Saturday and two hours on a Sunday, I would read law technology product news. And I would read, you know, this magazine or that magazine or this book or that book was before podcasts. And so I, uh, or I'd take a class on a topic I felt I needed to learn. So I would say, you know, you have to spend time on being a student of what you do and, and who you're selling to and what you're selling, not because you need to know every answer, but more because you actually need to know what the customer's asking you. So it, it goes back to really making sure you carve this time to, you know, read. And, and I can tell you still today, whether I am sitting at my desk or flying on an airplane, I spend at least two to three hours a day consuming content in some way, podcast, TED talk, webinar, tweets, blog, article, book, magazine, whatever. Uh, on something that's hot at the moment. And that's the only way I can sort of do my job because I'm expected to sort of know uh, what's next. Yeah, I, th I think that's huge. I, it's funny that you say all that because I just I just actually wrote a blog that I put out on, on Friday that I talked about, you know, some advice I would give to someone just starting sales. And I talked about my first ever face-to-face -face meeting with a customer. I went with, you know, my boss and the SVP of sales and we went to pick pitch. I kind of lucked into us getting this big deal on the table and we went and, you know, my job obviously is the new rep, like two months out of college, like I'll get the lunch for everyone and, you know, bring it and all that stuff. So after the intros, I don't think I said a single word. I remember I did eat two turkey sandwiches and, you know, we ended up getting the deal. No thanks to me. And it was just, yeah, it was great that to get the deal, but I felt so embarrassed that I did nothing for it that that day I was like, you know, I need to like, I'm subscribing to Quotable. I'm subscribing to the Marketo blog, Serious Decisions, all these things that, you know, I know my customers are reading, like I'm determined to fucking, you know, get my head in the game so I can start having these conversations. And then once I did that, that made all the difference. Like really saying, hey, every day I'm going to spend an hour or two or whatever the time allotment is to learn about whatever selling into. And I think that makes such a huge difference. Yeah. And, and I, I tell you, you know, I, I, I believe, and this is not my definition, right. But luck is opportunity uh, and preparedness meeting. So if you're not prepared and the opportunity shows itself, then you're not lucky. Yeah. Couldn't agree right? more. And so, yeah. And so, it, and, and uh, I, I think the first time I heard that it was Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> but I don't know where she heard it. Um, but ultimately, and it was probably 20 years ago, but you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, I can name a handful of times where I go, God, I was so lucky that it happened that way. And, and I reflect back on, well, you know, had I not been prepared to walk up to that person and have a conversation or to give that presentation, if I wasn't prepared and the opportunity didn't present itself, I, I wouldn't have gotten whatever it was I was trying to get. Mm, I, I could not agree more. I could not agree more. I want to actually take a quick pivot here. Um, we alluded to the book earlier, Growth IQ, uh, being published on August 14th. And there's two questions I want to ask. You know, One is generally, why this book and why now? Uh, obviously, you have such a deep experience uh, from your, your sales days and at Gartner for 10 years and now at Salesforce. Um, but, but why the book? And I'd love to hear your take um, and maybe explain, I think, the Kylie Jenner story and how she's built a business. And I think it just came out what, last week that she's either at $900 million or the or actually worth a billion dollars now. So I think it's super relevant. I'd love to hear you touch on both those. Uh, sure. So uh, I, as I said, I consume a lot of content and uh, you know, I've read a lot of business books over, over the time, my time. And I am a, I am not a great student, meaning like I don't have my MBA. So I'm not a book learner in that way where like, okay, I read a book and then I get a test and then I pass the test and I get a degree. I mean, I got my college degree, but then thinking, do I want to go on? Uh, I was like, you know, let's, let's, let's be honest, look yourself in the mirror and say, you know, is this really for you? Uh, and I chose not to get my MBA right out of college. So I'm a more visual listen learner. So in reading a lot of business books, I was like, it's kind of heavy. Like the concept is heavy. 
and I mean business books. I don't mean like workbooks or you know something about a topic. I mean like a, a strategy or leadership business book where it feels heavy. So I said, well, you know, if I if I were to if I were to read a book, if I were to write a book, I'd want to write a book that I want to read. What what would I want to read? Well, I would want it to not feel so heavy, and then I would want it to be more visually stimulating. So I chose not to use um, like PowerPoint slide kind of images or Excel graphs. I use sketch notes throughout the book so that it feels a little lighter and trying to visually tell a story. Uh, and then I, I wanted to tell a, you know, a story with an arc that brought people into the concept because I give so many keynotes every year, probably 75 or 80 keynotes somewhere in the world a year. Uh, I've gotten pretty good at storytelling. And so, but could I translate that from stage in a 30, 45 minute presentation to 70,000 words, which is a lot of words, by the way. So, you know, and I'm a talker, not a writer. So, you know, all these things I kind of had to navigate, you know, how do I get my words out of my head onto paper? That little flashing icon was like, would make me sweat. So how do I, how do I transition that? So, I said, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to read, you know, sort of 50 business books. And then I'm going to say, you know, what's missing? What, what did I not get out of it? So I did that. And then I said, okay, let me reflect on the last 20 years of doing what I've been doing. What was missing? And it kind of came to me that there was a handful of things that, that people wanted a digestible number of ways to grow the business. So that was number one. So I came up with 10. So that sort of satisfied that. Second is I really realized this pattern that when companies were growing, especially in hyper growth, that I could pull back the covers and kind of deconstruct, like almost like an anthropologist, I could deconstruct that it wasn't really how they chose to grow, although that's important. So like, I want to go, you know, acquire more customers, like that's a way to grow. But you have to do it in combination with something else. So if you're going to go try and acquire more customers, you may have to spend some marketing money or you may have to socially get you know more active. You have to do something to get the result of I'm going to sell more, right? So the combination was a natural. But the third part of it was this kind of timing of things or sequence. So it's not just what you choose to grow or how you choose mm -hmm. to grow. It's in what combination and in what sequence. When I came to that realization, I said, you know, before I think that it's really fantastic, I'm going to float it by people yep. I really respect uh, in the industry. And, and in many ways, I feel like I stand on their shoulders, you know, sort of the Dan Pinks and Seth Godin's of the world and reach out and say, hey, I got this idea. What do you think? And both of them jumped like Dan goes, I'm all in on sequence, not knowing he was writing a, a book called When, <laughs> which is all about timing. Right. So uh, he was honed right into the sequence part of it. Seth really loved just the way I kind of crafted it all. And so I felt, well, if they think it's good, I'm going to, you know, float it by a couple more people. And sure enough, I was like, I think I'm onto something. Now I just have to write the book. So, uh, so then I was, you know, off to writing. Now it's, I got to pick companies that I want to showcase. So each path of the 10 paths has three stories, two positive stories, if you will, of people who have come to a crossroads and said, I'm going to try to grow my business. I'm going to do this. And then it had positive impact. So I just highlight that moment in time. And then each path has a story where someone chose that path or did something that actually was counterproductive to the path they were actually on. So kind of a negative story, if you will. And so in one of the stories, um, I picked, uh, I picked Kylie Jenner. Uh, and it, and it's funny, you know, it, it was covered, uh, I wrote an article this week in Entrepreneur Magazine, and 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 it uh, and it covered that sort of case study. And it's interesting, sort of the response that I get, I get out of it, you know, uh, because it was literally like three or four days after she landed on the cover of Forbes on sort of self-made self-made uh, women uh, millionaires, uh, and sort of have your own business and. Everyone's like, well, self-made is kind of a little strong. So they had to, you know, Forbes actually had to come back out and say, okay, this is how we defined self-made. Like, you know, oh, coming from a famous family and having a show and 100 million followers is not really self-made. Well, yeah, but it's, it, it isn't an inherited dollar amount or an inherited company, meaning it's this generation's business. So in their definition, um, that was one of the things that would make you self-made. So I chose her in my product expansion path. Uh, and um, I think it's a fascinating story because 
she's been able to get, well, at the time that I wrote it and the time of print, you know, it's probably around 650 million estimated in, in revenue and she has less than 20 employees. So that's a huge return on an employee, like how much revenue per employee. If you want to do the math in your own company, you'll know that that number is insane. Insane, yeah. Insane, okay. And then you say she's never done traditional advertising because she has a hundred plus million followers across her social platforms. Two, she's not competing against her sisters in their lanes, you know, what they're doing. So three, she saw a need in the market for herself and said, well, I can satisfy this need. And, you know, why don't I speak to my fan base, right? Those that follow me and then bring them along as they age. So, you know, if they're 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 20, you know, let them go on this journey with me as I mature in not only my, you know, my beauty regime and, and how I view myself, but they kind of go on this whole journey with her. And that is really powerful, right? It shows the, the power of social media. It shows the power of, um, you know, creating a brand and a brand feeling. And yes, she's a quote unquote celebrity and whatever you may think of the Kardashian family. There are many celebrities who have tried to launch products and failed miserably. So if you don't have those other things, just being a celebrity isn't going to make it work. So uh, I think it was masterful usage of social media, very similar to Taylor Swift, uh, you know, and others in sort of that kind of age range of really trying to or Lady Gaga, right? You grab fans and get them completely socially engaged with you. What do they do? They buy your albums, they buy your makeup. They tell your story, they share your stuff, they, they, they want to know everything that you're doing and that it has a tremendous amount of power and, and influence, really. You're, you're right about, or the people that responded to your post and say that she's not self-made, I think that's valid. But in reality, no one's self-made completely. Everyone at some point or another relies on something and some people have certain advantages over others and they don't take advantage of them and they let them slip and they, the strategy isn't there. So I think you got to deal, you got to play whatever cards you're dealt. And, you know, she's played hers quite well. Maybe just to wrap this up, I know we're, we're getting close to the time here. I, I'd love to hear, you know, maybe one, one last piece before you sign off. I saw you put a post a few days ago uh, quoting from Adam Grant. And I really want to get your take on this is that you said that people generally, or he said, people go through their career in three stages. One is I'm not important. Number two is I am important. And number three is I want to work on something important. And that was interesting to me. And your response to it was that you think perhaps millennials do this in reverse order. I'd love to hear you just maybe riff on that for a minute or two. Yeah. So I had, I had posted something maybe six or seven months ago. Uh, and I actually ended up after I posted and got as much uh, responses I did. I got some like 50,000 uh, eyeballs on LinkedIn and hundreds of comments. And I said, in my 20s, it was, uh, what do I want to do? Sort of, you know, like my 30s, it was, can I make more money? How do I make more money? In my 40s, it was like, is this all that it is? And then in my 50s, yes, I'm older than 50. Uh, in my 50s, it was, I, how do I give back? And that was sort of my career journey. 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. So I posted that and people were, I mean, it just went crazy, both on Twitter and on LinkedIn. And I was like, interesting. So I actually used it in my 10th path in the book, which is called Unconventional Strategies. And that path is all about doing well by doing good. So it's sort of the opening story of that. And I used some stats around the fact that millennials um, are far more likely actually to deal with companies that either align to their values, right? And so could it be they're socially conscious or, you know, they give back mm -hmm. or they donate, you know, sort of the examples, um, the companies that I use are Tom's Shoes, you know, you can one for one kind of a thing or Lemonade Insurance where people who don't use all their insurance dollars, it donates back to a cause. And then, you know, the third one was, was really just a, a whole story around social conscious. So, you know, in the, in the millennials, this generation is actually just saying, I will make a decision on a brand that aligns with me more than I will not. And I will change brands if, if I don't feel that they actually align with me. You know, where some are saying, that's where I want to work. Like, 
you know, 70, 80% saying, I want to work with a company that aligns with my social values. I won't work somewhere else. I will buy from a brand in that way. I will do things in that way. And so I feel like millennials are ahead of me, just me as an individual. Some of the feedback I got was some people, because they had children younger, you know, got to phases in their career sooner and quicker than I did, um, which is possible. But what I also got back when I posted Adams was, I believe that I will go through it two or three times as a millennial. And I also believe it's flipped. So it wasn't, it was that, that, that the millennial generation agreed that I thought it was flipped. Um, and they also believed they would go through it a couple of times. So I think it's really fascinating, but this goes back to, you know, for those of you in the selling world, if you are a millennial uh, and you're selling to a millennial then there should be some understanding that you have. If you're a millennial and you're not selling to a millennial, let's say you're selling to someone like me. And at the end of the day, you have to just spend a beat to make sure that the way in which you are communicating and positioning yourself, et cetera, matches them, that they don't feel like you're unprofessional just because you're a millennial or because you behave a certain way, which may completely not be true. And they may be totally typecasting you as you know, something that you're not, but you just need to be aware of the fact that, um, look, you know, I, I, I've been, I've been buying from someone like you for 40 years. And I just like when people write it in an email because mm. I want to read it and then I want to respond, but you keep leaving me a voicemail or trying to text me. And in your head, you're like, but no, I just, you know, this is what I do. It's like, yes, but <laughs> We have, it's the first time we have five generations of people working. So we have to be very aware and cognizant of the fact that not everybody is as comfortable uh, and, you know, with technology, number one. Number two, that they're not everybody is committed to every social cause you are or has the same sort of view on things you do. It's very different today than it was 25 years ago in, a, in the workforce. So, um, I I did a podcast with Adam Grant. Anybody who's interested to hear more about it, I think it's just really fascinating about givers and takers uh, and matchers and what kind of person you are. It's yeah. a great book. Just it, the podcast was excellent because it's an excellent sort of burst of of getting it in thirty minutes, um, and then go read the book. That's awesome. Yeah, I think the last point you made there is is important and might get overlooked in the world of you know, let's uh, send 10,000 emails and let's put them through a sales cadence and put it through, uh, you know, one of these automation platforms. And it's like, well, let's take a step back. Like you're not just selling to that face on a LinkedIn. Like that's a real person. That's, that is Joe, the 33 year old um, guy who has two kids in San Jose or, you know, whatever it is or, or, um, and try to personalize whether, you know, he's 28, maybe you text him. If he's 52, maybe you stick to email and like, you don't do what you want. You do what's going to work and, and benefit the customer the best. So I think that's a good, um, a good last piece. And, you know, maybe that'll, that'll pivot to, you know, the last question here is if you have any advice for me or audience, the, the 25 year old person that's, that's hungry, they want to do better, um, from all of the experience that you have. And then where can we find you? Everything that you're doing on social media, the the podcast, the book, anything else that you have going on um, coming up? Yeah, so I would go back to what I said about being a student of your profession. If you really want to succeed at sales, uh, you have to get deep into either the industry or the region that you are selling into or that you are representing. Um, and you have to be willing to say uh, no sometimes where you know, a deal may not be right for the customer uh, or right for your business. And you have to be willing to walk away, which is really hard for salespeople to do because they're, when we're all trying to ret retire quota so we can keep our jobs. Um, and if you choose to sort of move into sales management, uh, remember that your customers will only be as happy as your people and your employees. So, you know, you need to make sure that you're enabling and fostering a culture by which they feel safe in order to try things and fail and, and be better. So I'd say be a student of your profession and then, you know, be really conscious of, of, you know, how you are not only perceived in your company or with your, with your 
colleagues or your customers? And then what are the things you can work on? We're all a work in progress. And so, um, and most salespeople are kind of type A, very extroverted, but there are also salespeople who are really successful, who are introverts and, and not type A. So it takes all kinds. So I'd say student of the profession is probably my number one piece of advice I give all the time. Um, as far as finding me, uh, you know, at Tiffany underscore Bova on Twitter, I'm pretty active. LinkedIn, I'm very active as well. And, and, and my Facebook page. And then I've got a podcast called What's Next with Tiffany Bova that's uh, comes out twice a month, every other Thursday. And I've, my guest lineup has been just the who's who. I've been super fortunate uh, and lucky, uh, which means I was prepared and the opportunity showed itself. Yep. Uh, so I got some great people on on the podcast. And then I have a book coming out August 14th called Growth IQ. And I'm super excited about that. It'll be uh, both in the US and international as well as China and uh, Thailand and you know, all over. It's kind of sort of everywhere. The audio book as well. And um as well as the Kindle version. So it's it's just super fantastic. It's just a great time, kind of everything's coming together. Uh, and I feel like uh, if I could make it to the end of the year and, and no plates drop, all will be good. Yeah, you're gonna be, you're gonna have a nice exhale, I'm sure, on uh, uh, December 31st. I think so, I think so. I'm looking forward to it, that's for sure. That's awesome. Well, Tiffany, I appreciate you taking the time, you being so generous uh, with your time and all the time management that we talked through and sharing your wisdom with everyone. Uh, everyone check out the book, check out the podcast. Uh, she is great on social media. I can confirm that. So give her a follow. Um, and I'm excited to see what's next with your journey and, and continue following along. Thanks so much, Tiffany. Yeah. And I'm super excited to, to recon, you know, connect with the millennial generation. I think, I think I can learn from them as well. So I, I appreciate you having me on the, on the podcast and on the show and, and all your support. And thanks to your listeners for spending this half hour with us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to that episode. Really hope you liked it. Uh, if you did, if you found any value, wherever you're listening to this, uh, please head on over uh, and give it a five-star rating, subscribe, review, whether it's on the iTunes app, whether it's on Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, if it's there. Um, really appreciate you. You can find me at tomalamo.com, T-O-M-A-L-A-I-M-O.com for the blog, all the show notes, and Tommy Tahoe uh, on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Find me on Facebook. I'm everywhere. So thanks so much. Grateful for you. Have a great week.